Hope you're all doing well today. I was remarking to uh, my former students over here that um, uh, y'all are, are just like college students. As far as, as the semester goes along, people are slower coming in to, <laughs> to class, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm slowing down myself, getting a little tired. I know you are too, and uh, it's all about being at camp, isn't it? Uh, enjoying each other's company and enjoying the services and, and everything else just gets a little tiresome. So I appreciate you being here today, and I uh, pray that God blesses you today. Anything we need to pray about? Everybody feeling well? Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. I pray, God, you'll just be with us as we study your word. Lord, as we look at the Psalms today, I pray, God, that you'll just help us to uh, see the wonder that, that you, you hear us. You see us in our sorrow and our joy. You, you embrace us. And, and in many ways, the images you have for us in Scripture, that, that when we weep, you weep with us. And when we rejoice, you rejoice, rejoice with us. And, and you are with us through every part of life. And so Lord, I pray that today we would uh, embrace this image of you that the Bible shares so clearly because it's true. We all have known you to be with us in our worst of times and in our best of times. And Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to have a new appreciation uh, for these books we call the Psalms. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'll be with us. We ask this, name, this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today we are going to uh, look at Psalm 103, but first we'll talk about Psalms in general, uh, what they are, how they work, uh, and ways that we can read them. Um, the first thing we need to understand are we cannot read the Psalms like we do uh, when we read 1 Kings. Okay, uh, the Psalms are not about information. They're about emotions. Uh, they are feeling-based. The people who are writing these Psalms, whether it's David or whoever uh, writing a Psalm, they are writing these Psalms from the bottom of their hearts. They are rejoicing or they are crying. Uh, they, are, they are struggling or they are, are, are happy. Uh, but you see them. And if we read them simply as literature, we simply read them for the words, what they say to me, without really understanding what the people are saying, we miss half of what they're trying to say. Okay? So the Psalms especially is where we need to put ourselves into the emotions of the writers. All right? Does that make sense? So, so let's, let's move forward with that. I think maybe the battery's dead. Uh, I think the battery's dead. I'm sorry. Would you go ahead and switch the slide? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so characteristics of the Psalms, the Psalms reveal a relationship in words. That's really what the Psalms do. Uh, these are words that describe a relationship between the author and God. And that relationship is bare, it is honest, it is transparent, it is sincere. 
Whether it's painful or whether it's rejoicing, it is sincere. We have to feel that, that relationship uh, that is taking place. We do not understand Psalms fully unless we hear it in the, it in the divine human dialogue that's taking place. Thank you so much. The Psalms reveal God speaking to us, but also the privilege we have of speaking to God with transparency and emotions. God is not threatened by our questions. The Psalms tell us that very clearly. I think I mentioned before, when I was a kid in in Sunday school, a teacher told me, you never, ever, ever question God. Then we read a Psalm, and the author says, how long, oh God? He's questioning God. Why can't I question God? Don't you ever question God. <laughs> Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Are you questioning God? It was, it was hard for me to understand that idea. And God is not threatened by our questions. If we are questioning not God's existence, but questioning God why is this happening or, 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 or why does it seem like that the good people are hurting and the bad people are getting richer and, and all these things? Why? When we say these things, we're actually saying to God, I believe that you can do something about this. I believe that you are all-powerful. I believe that you can fix this. I believe that you have an answer for me. I believe even in the midst of all this, if it's necessary, you can give me peace even though it might not change. I believe, God, that you can do something somehow, some way to make this better. Whether it's actually fix the problem or fix my attitude. And so questioning God is not a sign of of disbelief, of frailty of belief. It is a statement of transparency. I believe in you, God, with all of my heart, and you're going to see every bit of me because I'm not going to hide anything from you. Okay? So we cannot forget this in that way. The Psalms express the full range of the human heart. We have thanksgiving and praise, lament, celebration, wisdom, judgment, all these psalms deal with all of these things. Lament is, is simply, you know, this, this, this feeling of, of despair. God, why? God, help. I don't have any strength left. I don't have any, my enemies are all around me, as David would say. They're nipping at my, at my heels. They're, they're trying to, to crucify me. And yet, I will trust in you, for you are my rock and my salvation. God, help me, please. These laments are important for us. So we can pray the Psalms. The word heart appears 131 times in the Psalms. 131 times, the word heart. Heart, 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 heart. With all your heart, with all my heart, my heart, give me a clean heart. Psalm 53, beautiful psalm. David repents of what he did with Bathsheba and, and the murder of, 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 of Uriah the Hittite. And, and he, he, he repents and says, cleanse me and give me a new heart, a clean heart. Thank you so much. Give me a clean heart. It is about change. It is about hope. It's about growth 
in the inmost places. That's what the Psalms are all about. Join your heart with the heart of humanity reaching out to the heart of God. When we read a psalm, we're not just reading the author. We're reading people's hearts throughout all time. You see in these words things that you have thought, things that others have thought. In fact, probably everyone has thought at one time or another. So this, these words are the words of all of humanity written by one author. Pray them upwards in praise, grief, joy, or pain, whatever it is that you're going through. Pray them. Pray them. God, I know that you understand my frustration. I know that you understand my hurt. You understand my concern. My, my, you understand this fairness bone inside of me that's being broken because of the unfairness of this world. You, you understand these things, God. And I know that I'm frail. And I know I'm not perfect. God, I need you to help me. To help me. We have to pray these with sincerity. And with transparency, God, this is who I am. Today, it's not so good. It's not so good. Lord, this is who I am. And God, you have touched me. Man, I'm on top of the world today, God. Praise the Lord with all my heart. Praise the Lord. Or I'm broken. My spouse just got this horrible doctor's diagnosis. My heart is broken. Why, God? Why? Why? Pray it with sincerity. Pray these words that we need to say. Because we need to get them out. They need to come out of us. And God embraces them and holds them close. Important, again, God is not threatened by our questions or fears. God is not questioned by our questions or fears. Now, it's true that perfect love casts out fear. That fear that, that John is talking about is the fear of punishment, the fear of, of, of eternal damnation, that perfect love within us, when we are filled with perfect love, we do not need to fear punishment because we are in the hands of God when we stay in that perfect love. But it does not mean we are not going to have anxiety. In fact, anxiety, anxiety, good anxiety is good. If this place just catches on fire, we should probably be a little anxious and get out of here. Yes? Anxiety was something God gave us for positive. For positive. If there's something wrong, we should feel anxious about it. We should. The question is, what will we do with it? If it's something we need to do right now and act on it, God has put that within us also. Our instincts tell us when there's a fire burning in this building, we're getting out of here. But if we're anxious about something else, then we need to learn. Then we turn to the Lord and say, God, here is this issue. I don't understand this issue. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I'm being laid off. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand all this garbage going on in our country today. I don't understand all the screaming and hollering between Christians over political stuff. I don't understand all this stuff. God, help me. And he does. And he does. 
if we are honest. But we as human beings, especially as Americans, we're taught to be independent and strong and to hide our emotions, to hide our troubles, to put on a strong face, to power on through when we feel like we're dying on the inside. And that never turns out well. It really doesn't. When there is an issue, we need to take it to God now and say, God, help me because I can't handle this by myself. That is called dependence, which is the act opposite of what we're taught in our society of being independent. We're told every day, you don't need anybody. You should need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You should be strong. You should be the one who's in charge. You should not be, nobody should tell you what to do. You need to be totally independent. Do your own thing. You choose what your, your career is going to be. You choose what you're going to do with your life. You're going to choose what you do with your money. You're the one, you're the, me, 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 me. That's what our society teaches us. And God says, uh-oh, where did you come from? You were not self-made. I believe I was the one who got in the mud and made man, yes? Okay, you're not self-made. You're not God. You want to be. That's part of the sinful nature. We talked about that, I think, the second week, second class. The sinful nature of if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be, you'll be, able, to, you'll be able to just like God. And we all want to be just like God. I want to be God of my own life. And God says, you are not. Admit it, confess it, realize that you are dependent on me. Because if you are, you will not be disappointed. If you're independent and do things in your own way, you will constantly face face disappointment because you are not able to do everything you want to do. You are not able to go down the highway 120 miles an hour without getting a ticket. You are unable to go into the grocery store and just get what you want and walk out the door. You are not unable to do a lot of things. And you're going to be full of frustration. So trust me. The Psalms constantly ask us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And that is the question that all of these authors, all of these Psalms are dealing with. Our trust in God. Do I trust myself? Do I trust humans to do the right thing? We should trust other people, realizing that other people are going to fail us. I will disappoint you somehow or some way. If we're together long enough, if I haven't already, I will disappoint you. Why? Because I'm human. I'm human. Humans are never going to measure up to what we think they should be. God always will. So do you trust me? The Psalms reveal the contrast between God's desire for humans and the reality of life in a sinful world. 
The Psalms reveal God's desire for us, God's will for us. God's will for us is shalom. God's will for us is peace of heart, contentment, wholeness, to be able to, to wake up in the morning and no matter what comes our way, to know that God is with me and that together we can do this, we can get through this. That's what God's will is for us, to completely surrender to him and that shalom would be universal. That's what it was before they ate the fruit. It was peaceful. The garden was shalom. The garden was together. The garden worked together. The animals, the the, the trees, the, the water, the trees, everything worked in harmony. And Adam and Eve lived in harmony within all of creation. There was a peace that we have never known, you and I. A peace we have never known. Everything was the way it was supposed to be. That won't happen here on this earth again until the end when God restores the garden, as we see in chapter 21 of Revelation. It will not happen again until the end, but in our hearts, it can happen. In our lives, it can happen. God's shalom can be within us. We can actually know contentment. That's a hard thing. Now, I would ask you, how many of you feel content today? You know, several of you. How many of, I can ask you, how many of you feel content all the time? Good, good. I'm not one of those people. You know, when traffic's too slow, I'm not content. When somebody runs a red light in front of me, I'm not content. When somebody's talking to the cashier at the cash register and they just stand there and 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 my ice cream's melting, I'm not content. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. God desires us to know contentment. God's desire is shalom, peace, contentment, health, fulfillment, rest in relationship with God. Rest. Rest doesn't mean always taking a nap, though I like that. Rest is trusting each and every moment of every day, resting that it's not all up to me, it's up to me to do what God asked me to do. And that's all I can do. All I can do is love you whether you love me or not. All I can do is do the best I can whether it works out for everybody else or not, whether it's the right thing or not. And some days my best is not as good as other days. Just being honest with you. Some days I don't feel good. And so I do my best, but it's not nearly as good as it was the day before. But I give my best for the Lord, not for other people's glory or or for my own glory. I don't want to live by other people's praise. I don't want to live by other people's approval. I want to live in God's grace in a relationship with him so that someday I can get his approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. I don't care if people think I'm silly to be driving an old car. I shouldn't even say that. I just bought a new truck. I had my old, I had a little blue Toyota Matrix. You don't know what a Toyota Matrix is? That's how old it is. It's almost 13 years old, had 250,000 miles on it. 
It was so small, people asked me, how do you get in that thing? I said, with a shoehorn. But it gets great gas mileage, and it runs, and it will not die, and I'm going to use it because it's perfect. In a biblical sense, it fulfills its purpose. Is it pretty? No. Is it comfortable? No. But it gets me from here to there for just a little bit of gas. That's perfect for me right now. Okay? But finally, it was starting to make noises, and it was going to cost more to get it fixed up than it was worth. So I traded in. Got a great deal on a pickup truck. I actually had, uh, as the president of the university, we're we're good friends, Dr. Spaulding. So I went over to show him my pickup truck because he always made fun of me. I took him to the airport 10 years ago in my little blue car. He's He's bigger than I am as far as just a big guy. And he's all crammed up in there and I'm all crammed up in there and our shoulders are hitting each other. He says, you have got to get a bigger car. Someday, well, 10 years later, I showed him my new truck. He says, finally, you have a man truck. Anyway, that's just, I got off topic there, sorry. But the broken reality is much different. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not perfect. We live in a world where things are not the way we wish they were. We live in a world where we always don't get our way. Always don't get our way. Sometime during the day, you will not get your way. So the always is true. We will always not get our way sometime. So what are we going to do with that? Things are not always going to feel good. I woke up this morning... Uh, we've been moving for the last few weeks, and the last few days been getting stuff, finally get the rest of the stuff out of the, out of the storage shed, and I overdid it last night, and I woke up this morning like, I said, this is not good. So I got in a hot shower, and all of a sudden I was a little better. But I'm here, and I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad to be with you, and I'm glad that we are able to move. I was glad we were able to sell our house and make more money than I ever thought we could possibly do. You know, the market is crazy. The housing market is crazy. We built this house three years ago. I'm going to retire in three years. And I had this guy drive by and says, hey, you're selling your house? I said, no. He said, well, if you do, call me. And then drove away. He didn't tell me his name or phone number or nothing. So it got us thinking. So I got it with hold of a realtor. She came out and told us his price. I said, are you kidding me? She said, no, I can get more than that. So we sold our house, put a whole bunch of money in our retirement fund because I've been a missionary and a pastor. I don't have a whole bunch of money in my retirement fund. Put a whole bunch of money in my retirement We're just in a little place for the next three years. It's great. Except for you got to move. And it hurts when you're my age. Anyway, this is a broken world. We live in a broken reality. And the fact is, God is with us, no matter how good or bad we feel, no matter how sore or wonderful that we feel, God is with us. Within the psalm, shalom is found in a faithful, loving God's presence, yet human sinfulness has broken the innocent relationship of Eden, as I talked about. The humans cry out for peace, fairness, and justice within the psalms. And the answer through the churching is God's presence. Indeed, He is 
my rock and my fortress. Humans can neither live in the past or dwell on the future. Yet we tend to do both. Oh, if we could just go back to the good old days. The good old days never existed. For me, the good old days were the 60s when I was a kid and I could go out and play all day and mama didn't have to watch after me and she didn't even know where I was and it was perfect in every way. And I think about the 60s, I think, damn, those were not the good old days in our country. They're no good old days. They're good memories. But we can't dwell in the past. We can't dwell in the future. We have to live in the present. The tender, loving mercy and the love that endures forever is with us. Is with us. We are called to live in trust within the present. The good old days were not so good. The future is exciting yet filled with uncertainty. Today is our opportunity to dwell in the presence. It's the present is a present. You heard the old saying, it's called the present because today is a gift. Every day is a gift. Every breath we take is a gift. Every moment that we have together is a gift. Even when we don't get along, it's a gift. Every moment with God in us, with us, is a gift. We cannot lose track of that gift. So we're going to look at Psalm 103. And we're going to read it. Okay, this is the New International Version. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of a mortal is like grass. They flourish like a flower of a field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. What a great psalm. Beautiful psalm. I just want to cut through this real quick. I want to look at what's going on in this psalm. First five verses. Begins and ends with a call to join in praise 
the Lord of Shalom giving chassid. God is our hope for hope. God is our hope, period. God is with us. He is our shalom. He is our peace. Baraki is the Hebrew word for bless, blessed, blessed, praise and blessed. This is actually the word bless. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless him for all that he is. Remember who is able to forgive and heal, it talks about. Remember who is your hope. Remember who is the one who can bring healing to my soul, to my body, to the issues of my world. Who is the one who I can trust? No matter what we think, no elected official is going to be the answer. No, nobody else is going to save our country or save our world. It is only through God that there is hope for salvation. Remember the God who came into the muck to create you still pulls you from the pit. Talks about he comes and pulls me from the pit. Well, he comes into the pit. He came into the muck in the first place to make us. He's not afraid to get dirty in our mess. He's not afraid to get into the mud with us. He's not afraid to get into the mess that we're in. He'll get in there right with us and lift us out of that thing. It's a beautiful thing. Bless the Lord. Remember the God who sees, hears, cares, and delivers. He talks about Moses and, and the, the, the burning bush. God says, I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries, and I care deeply, and I come to deliver. It's the same God, the same God that is with us today. The primary question of all humanity, how do I relate to that which is bigger than me? That is our issue. The whole world, every human being has to realize that we are this big and the universe is humongous. Okay? How do I relate to something that's bigger than me? How do I relate to the fact that in this great big ocean of humanity, over 7 billion people, I'm just little old me? I'm just me. That I am a, 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 a microbe, even smaller than a microbe, invisible without a microscope within the whole scope of the world. I'm just this little pebble of sand on the ocean shore. I'm just this little thing, and that's depressing if we take it too far, but the fact is, who is God and who is not? God, not. God, not. God, not. Okay? That is where it all begins. How do I relate to that which is bigger than me? Encountering the God, the God, counting God's love in fullness will satisfy and renew. Encountering God's love fully, of surrendering, of allowing his love to have control of us, to have that perfect love of God within us, is the answer to our issues. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, in the beginning, all were created good and filled with shalom, as I mentioned before. Brokenness brought slavery to sin, and, and literally slavery in Egypt for the Israelites. 
Sin brings slavery. Sin brings brokenness. Sin brings hurt. Sin brings mistakes. Sin brings all kinds of issues in the world today, in our lives today. Sin is the problem with our lives in the world around us. But our hope is chesed love, who brings love and justice into a broken world through salvation. Our hope is in God and his love for us. Verses 7 through 12, God is filled with compassion for all of creation and peoples of the earth. That statement in, in, in verse 7 is amazing in the fact that he says, I am the God, I am the God of all nations, of all peoples. He's not just the God of a chosen few. He's not just the God of the Israelites. He's not just the God of the Hebrews. He's not God of just a certain people. God is the God of all creation. God is the God of everybody. That's us. Anybody here have Jewish blood in you? Then we are all Gentiles in the New Testament word. We're Gentiles. We're outsiders. We don't have a place apart from God's desire to bring us in, for us to be one with him. That's the beauty of who God is. Compassion describes the motive, if not the nature of Hesed. God is compassion, has compassion. God is caring. God loves. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to know contentment. But he also knows that you're not going to find it without him. Without him. So what does he do? He offers us him. He wants us to be happy. Let's do this logically. I'm unhappy. God wants me to be happy. The only happiness that can be found in this world is in God. So therefore, I'll accept God and accept his love and grace and know true happiness. It's pretty simple, but it's very hard for us. Very hard for us. God's compassion is not fair by human standards. Human standards says, buddy, you wrong me, you're going to pay. You mess up one time, you're done. It's like this idea of faith. You know, I usually carry a quarter in my pocket, but I don't have it. You know, we, th- we, we, we as Christians are, are horrible about the word faith. We think of faith as a thing, and it's my faith. And I choose who I'm going to trust and who I'm not going to trust. I'm going to believe in who I'm not going to believe in. It's my faith. And so I carry my faith in my pocket. And so I meet somebody, and I say, you know, you seem to be okay, you know, and I got a quarter's worth of faith, so I'll I'll give you a nickel's worth. I trust you, but not quite that much. But you mess up, I'm taking my nickel back. And that's how we act with our faith. That, 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 that I, 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 it's my faith, and, and you better behave, or, or God better behave the way I want God to behave, or I'm not going to give my faith to him. It's my faith. And we get into big trouble. What happens? We get into big trouble, and we are, we're at our wits' end, so we go run into that great vending machine in the sky, throw my quarter into the slot, pull the handle, and say, God, give me an answer, and here's the answer I need. 
God, I need a new car, so I'd like to have a 2022 Mercedes-Benz. Pull the handle. And I get a 10-year-old Honda. That's not what I asked for, God. I'm not so sure I can trust you anymore. Is this not how we are? I pray we have grown out of that. But so many Christians have this mentality that it's my faith, therefore I should get what I want from my faith. And God says, I will give you what you need with your faith. What you need. You need to be content. You become like Paul, who learned to be content in all situations, whether he had plenty or had nothing. He learned to be content. That's what God's desire is. It's not fair by human standards. It's not fair that so-and-so got the position and I'm still a janitor. It's not fair that that so-and-so got a new boat and I can't even get a new car. It's not fair that so-and-so got this million-dollar house and I'm living in this apartment. It's not fair that, that, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair I got to stand up the whole time and you're sitting down. Just saying. God desires to forgive, not punish. To the world, it's not fair that a sinner goes to heaven. I'll be honest with you, I struggled back in the 1980s. I was in school, and I was a janitor at a, at a middle school in Olathe, Kansas, and, and I was working in the evening about 9 o'clock, I was listening to the radio, and, and, and James Dobson came on there, and he says, he says, I just spent three days with Ted Bundy. You remember Ted Bundy? Who killed a whole bunch of young girls. I lived in Colorado when he did it. And James Dobson said, and Ted Bundy gave his heart to Jesus. And he's forgiven, he's going to go to heaven. And I said, are you kidding me? After what he did, it made me angry. I'm embarrassed by that now. But it's not fair. Someone said awful could go to heaven? Well, if it's true, I'm not going to live anywhere near him when I get there. But grace is not fair. Grace is not fair. Grace is love. And he, God will love us no matter what we do. And God will call us and woo us no matter what we have done. And God will forgive us if we'll just turn our hearts to him. And God will bring us to heaven. Yes, there are consequences on earth for our, for our, our crimes, for our sins. But God will forgive That's amazing. It truly is amazing that God will forgive no matter what. No matter what. Death was a constant reminder in the violent ancient world that death was there. And so when they talk about the life of a man, it's just fleeting. It's like the dust in the wind. It's like a, a, a flower in a windstorm as its petals blow away. It's, it's, it's just all kinds of imagery in the Psalms showing this shortness of life. 
And for the ancient world, for us, we think, you know, 75, 80, 90 years is too short. You know, in the ancient world, the, the lifespan was about 35 years because of the violence and the lack of food and the, and the difficulties of life. And so life was very fleeting for them, and they understood that. The days are short, the winds blow, and the nameless millions are forgotten. Once you die, you know, the, the pessimism that we see here is the same kind of thing we see in Ecclesiastes when, when Solomon says, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life is meaningless. We live, we die, and everyone forgets about, forgets about us. You know, it's, it, it's this picture of, of, of the fleetingness of life. If we trust that we can make a name for ourselves that will last forever on our own strength and our own ability, we're crazy. We're crazy. God is the one who gives us an eternity. God is the one who gives us more than this world. God is the one who will never forget us, get, get us years after we're gone and no one even knows we lived. God is our hope. It's a bleak picture of shalomless, godless people. Those who have no hope other than this world and once they're dead, they're dead and they're, they dry up like dust and they blow away and they're forgotten and they're just a piece of, of, of a tree somewhere in somebody's, in the roots of a tree that sucked up its minerals. Just, it's, 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 a, it's a shalomless image that is there. Yet the Lord's love is everlasting with the ones who fear him, who keep covenant, love God and love others. Love God and love others. God shows us chesed, love him with all of our hearts, and then show chesed to other people. This is the covenant God calls us to, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to teach our children these things, and to teach others, and to put our trust in our eternal hope, in our eternal future, in our eternal fame, if you will, in his hands, not in our own abilities. A great hope for all humankind is what God offers us. God is on the throne and all are his. We see this in verse 19. All are his. God is on the throne and we are all his. God's dominion is all of creation. And dominion, this beautiful word dominion, we, we, we take that word and quickly when it comes to God gives us dominion over creation, over the earth, we take that very quickly to mean dominate. God says to dominate creation, to subdue it, which he does say that. But subduing is not what we think of it today. Subduing does not mean putting it under our feet. Subduing means to, to tame it, to bring hope to it, to cultivate, to take care of it. As Adam was told, to tend the garden is what we're told to do. When we get dominion of creation, it is to take care of it. I'm not talking about, you know, tree hugging and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about anything political. I'm talking about our responsibility as humans. God said, take, here's your garden I'm giving to you. Tend it. Take care of it. Nurture it. Because it is your lifeblood. It is where your food comes from. It is where life began. You came from the dirt. And so this is important for us to see. The ideal king in the Bible is benevolent, 
protective, compassionate in the biblical expectation. That that's what a king is supposed to be. That's what a leader is supposed to be. Someone who is benevolent, cares about those who are beneath him or, or, or responsible for. Um, protect those around us. Protect those under our, our care and to take care of them, to care about them deeply. God, God's power is for the welfare, the shalom of a community. God's will, God's desire, God's acting is always for our welfare and the welfare of the entire community. God never does anything that's not our own good for us. Yes, we have images in the Old Testament of exile and all types of things. And as far as God was concerned, they had reached the point that that's all that was left to bring them back. He had sent prophet after prophet. He had shown them over and over again. He had given them and given them and given them, had forgiven them and forgiven them and forgiven them and forgiven them. And they still rejected his love, still rejected covenant, still rejected everything God had called them to. And so to get their attention, the final resort was to let them have their way. And that is the curse. We talk about disobedience equals curses as part of the Old Testament. Absolutely it is. The curse, the blessing is God's presence. The curse is the absence of. Now God was still with the Israelites, but they had rejected him, and so he let them do what they wanted to do. And he told them, this great army is coming from the north and is going to destroy you unless you repent and come back to me. They rejected that, and so that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And the result was, they go into exile, and they think it through, and they realize they were wrong. And God brings them back. God brings them back. God wants the best for us, sometimes includes what we call justice. Shalom cannot be found in protecting one's place. It is a gift of, well, it should be, I'm making lots of mistakes here, I'm sorry, of presence through mercy and grace. It is a gift of presence through mercy and grace. That is shalom. God with us. God with us. God with us. We can sing Emmanuel all year round, not just Christmas time. That's what Emmanuel means. You know that. In Hebrew, Emanu means with us. El is God. God with us. God with us. And verses 20, 20 through 22. A fourfold blessing of God ends the psalm, embraces everything that humans cannot see or, or, but must trust. Angels who are God's messengers, servants, heavenly hosts who do God's will, and everything, everything, everyone, everywhere. But most of all, may my soul bless the Lord. May my soul bless the Lord. But all of creation, everything, everywhere, the angels, the heavenly hosts, meaning the stars and the sky, the, the suns and the moon, the sun and the moon, all of these things of heaven, all praise God, all bless God. But ultimately it comes down to, but what about me? 
To bless God, I need to surrender myself and let his love fill me. That, my friend, is the essence of holiness. Letting his love fill me and living out through that love is where shalom is found and where shalom is given to others through that love through us. That is the essence of why we're here this entire week, of total surrender to the love of God, trusting him that he is going to help me make the right decisions, that he's going to help me not to break commandment, to break covenant. He's going to help me not to sin. He's going to help me not to to do the things I should do, but he's most of all going to help me to do. We think about the negatives all the time, but to do, to love, to care, to be compassionate, to, to, to live in a way that brings glory to God, to, to live a life of praise even when we don't feel like it, to give thanks always. When Paul says this, give thanks to God always. I'm like, rejoice, rejoice always. I'm like, how do you do that? But you don't have to be in a good mood. You don't have to be in the best place. You don't have to feel perfect to rejoice in the fact that God is with me in this mess. God is with us. Rejoice. Rejoice. Even if you don't feel like dancing. Oh, we don't dance, do we? Sorry. Even if you feel like jumping up and down. If you don't feel like it, it's okay. Rejoice. God is with you in your mess. Okay, quickly. The conclusion reaches from the far reaches of space to the four corners of the earth to the very souls, hearts of humans. Celebrate the goodness of God. Embrace God's chesed mercies, forgiveness, and restoration of our souls and shalom. God is all in love, which leads to a cross for the salvation of our souls. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let us love God with all in love. All that we am. That's good English, isn't it? God says, I am. Well, I am what I am, and I belong to you. My am is yours. My am is yours. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Well, come on. Chesed all in love must be accepted and received as our own. Chesed love must be reciprocated through faith in our lives with others. All in love requires loving God and others in all in surrender to God's will. This is what this psalm is all about. And tomorrow, I'd ask you to read Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. We'll be looking at the love of God and hope. Okay? All right, thank you.